And now for something completely different. Welcome to Shout Out. Out of the closet and into your ears. Hello and welcome to Shout Out. I'm Andy Shilton. And I'm Steffi Barnett. On today's show, it's a double feature as we're fighting with pride. Uh, and Matthew talks to Brooke Tate. Plus news views and one of the new ABBA tracks. Ooh, I can't wait for that. Uh, all of the next hour, right here on Shout Out. everyone welcome to the show are we all enjoying this lovely later summer beautiful (laughs) weather isn't it (laughs) absolutely beautiful it's going to break very shortly though storms are forecast yes you're right i know yeah um yeah it's and it's also it's like the the nights are drawing in as well it's like you know it's what eight o'clock now when it gets dark it is and the beauty of decks are in the shops Oh, oh no! You said no. the c-word. <laughs> honestly, it's my version of blasphemy, and it really upsets me. Can you please? Should we're be gonna a get, law. We're going to get a, a Christmas swear jar, and you can put ten pounds in it every time you say the c-word. No, it should be a law. Shops <laughs> should not be able to do anything until the end of November. No, at least it's yeah, Halloween. After, after my hubby's birthday, November is our rule. That's right. So. Yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, we've got a really packed show coming up today, um, and uh, we're kicking it off with um, uh, Fighting with Pride. Uh, take a listen to this. Until the turn of the century, British armed forces engaged in the social cleansing of a group of their own people. People the military saw as a threat to its existence. LGBT plus personnel matched the courage of their peers on the battlefield, but if discovered were arrested, interrogated, subjected to degrading medical examinations and court-martial. Working with the charity Fighting With Pride, we're telling the stories of people who served or were directly affected by this gay ban. Carl Austin Bean is now a successful businessman and former Lord Mayor of Greater Manchester. Back in 1991, like other members of his family before him, he signed up to join the RAF. Seeing what I saw in the Air Force when I saw my brother and seeing the sort of lifestyle and seeing the camaraderie and how everyone got on, I think I, I felt that you know, I could be a part of this and hide part of who I was. I knew from day one I was living a double treble life. I, I realise now what a vulnerable position I used to put myself in. I started seeing a girl at RAF Chivener. After a while, we, we, we became close. She fell pregnant. And on my 21st birthday, we got engaged. She ended up having a miscarriage about three or four weeks after that. So I broke the engagement off. You know, it was just a mess. When you when you look at it in reality, because of the ban, because of the fact that it was illegal, because I was a threat to 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 the military life, you know, I could be sat here now with with, with mental health issues based on a rule and regulation that was archaic back then. Anyway, I was on a crew, and we had an aircraft crash, and I don't think I'd realised at the time, and thankfully adrenaline took over, but I ended up being sat on a live ejection seat. Managed to get get the, the pilot out. I ended up getting the British Humane Society Bronze Award for bravery. 
I then ended up getting posted to, to Belize, did six months in Belize, went to Ascension Island. But then I had also started seeing a lad in Manchester. In the Easter of 97, he then phoned the Air Force and told them that I was gay because he thought that that would just mean that I wouldn't get posted away. He didn't realise the, the consequences that I'd actually get discharged. I was then phoned up. I remember going to the PSF headquarters. I was there with the Padre and also with the RAF police. And he just sat me down and it was like, SAC Austin, do you have homosexual tendencies? And I paused. And even though I knew the question was coming, they started to ask me again and I just burst into tears. I know that if I'd have said no, they would have just accepted that and just left it and moved on and just been, thank you very much. We've, someone's made an allegation. We just needed to check with you. And I think the reason why I think I know that, if I'd have said no, was the reaction afterwards. Because when I burst into tears and then explained myself, I think it completely threw them. They did explain to me that I could have gone to military prison for six months, but they were going to suspend me for six months based on the fact of my exemplary RAF career, the fact that I'd got my papers through for my promotion, the fact that all I've ever done is been so passionate about the Air Force. You know, when you think about it, you know, I lost everything in that split second. I lost my career, I lost my job, I lost my friends. They basically gave me 10 minutes to go off camp and I was marched off by the RAF police. I was given three boxes and told to throw my stuff in the boxes. And I just, I literally was, was shown off camp, couldn't say goodbye to anyone. I literally drove out the camp gates. I remember sitting, there was a, there's a lay-by right outside the camp gates at RAF Huntington. And I sat in that lay-by for about three hours, just, just crying my eyes out. So I ended up coming back to Manchester. I think in my head, I was then thinking, right, I can try and fight this. I can try and put this right. I wrote to the, the MOD. It was restricted, but they sent me a copy of the report they did. It was just, you know, it was perfect. I couldn't have wished for anything nicer to be written about me. And because I'd got that, I then wrote back to say, look, just because of who I sleep with or because of who I am inside, I couldn't work out why, why I was being kicked out and why I was treated this way. Surely we should move on by now. And then it came back, the fact that I was incompatible to service life because homosexuality is, is not acceptable within the armed forces. So due to being a homosexual, the dismissal stands. I've never felt bitter. I've never felt angry. I've never felt annoyed at the RAF or at any of the military services for the ban because the ban could have been lifted and it could have been sorted by the government at the time. I did this competition called Mr. Gay UK just to try and normalise being gay. You know, I'd been in the armed forces. I'd stacked shells in Asda. I was a, I'd been a fireman. I'd worked nights at a warehouse. And that, to me, is just like any normal sort of person. That was how I managed to win Mr. Gay UK in 2001. Sky News interviewed me, and they were very direct. How, how did I feel the fact that, you know, after being kicked out of the Air Force for being gay, you've now got serving military personnel marching in a pride parade and my words then are exactly the same words now i am so proud of what they managed to achieve in such a short time in reality considering the ban was only lifting in 2000 and now they're marching in a pride parade in 2004 for me without getting too sort of passionate about it i think that's that was that was my apology 
You've been listening to Fighting with Pride, produced by John Dash Media with the support of the Audio Content Fund. For more information, visit fightingwithpride.org.uk. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. This is Shout Out News Headlines on Thursday the 9th of September. Bristol's inaugural LGBTQIA plus comic art fair on Saturday was a success, attracting hundreds of visitors through the day. Exhibitors were able to sell their work in print, stickers and comic books and networking took place amongst many LGBTQIA plus organisations and collectives. Anime producers sat alongside gothic horror, graphic novels, science fiction and producers of badges and patches. We congratulate Nathan and the team on making the event such a success and hope that there are many similar gatherings in the future. Those very active, historically aware gay and bi men at the Antinous blog have much to remind us of in LGBTQIA history every day. On September the 2nd, the blog marked the 15th anniversary of the death of Willie Ninja, who helped in the popularisation of a largely African, Caribbean and Latin queer style of dancing called Vogue. Sally Summer, a professor of dance at Florida State University, remarked he was a tall man, about six foot three, and God gave him the biggest, broadest dance shoulders in the world, so when he would do those things with his arms, it was just so impressive. The Antinous blog says an androgynous, self-destructive, self-described butch queen Willie Ninja taught voguing throughout Europe and Japan, modelled in runway shows for the fashion designers Jean-Paul Gaultier and Thierry Mugler and danced in music videos including the stunning 1990 hit single that brought voguing into straight living rooms globally McDonald's uh, Vogue and could be sharp-witted with his tongue but he was a mother to the young people in his house of Ninja and on the club scene more widely His own mother was ill, and even though his own health was declining through HIV, Ninja prioritised her healthcare at his own health's expense, a shocking indictment of the American privatised healthcare system. Ninja passed away 15 years ago to join the ancestral realm of African-American LGBTQIA heroes. We salute him. Since a late... Since... Since at least the 19th century, aggressive preaching has been illegal in the UK, even during more religious periods than at present. Newswire Pink News reports that on August 29th, a 40-year-old fundamentalist Christian was detained after shouting and haranguing shoppers going about their lawful and peaceful business in Brigade, a major shopping th- through affair in Leeds. The man, who referred to unmarried women as whores and reeled off long lists of people who, according to him, were bound for hellfire in a handbasket, including pagans, atheist Jews, non-believers and homosexuals was led away by two police officers and was captured still screaming in religious fever by a local television station. LGBTQIA plus and women's activists were delighted to note that before his arrest the man had been surrounded by a large group of ordinary Leeds residents who told him his extreme religion and his homophobic misogynistic views were not wanted in the city. 
Meanwhile, Radio Free Europe says that 51 members of neo-Nazi group Tradition and Order were arrested after violently attacking police and trying to disrupt the annual Pride Parade in the city of Odessa, a black seaport in the Ukraine. The police are pursuing a number of charges against the detained. The LGBTQIA protesters outnumbered the Nazis, but both groups were dwarfed by the number of police officers on duty. In the United States, Libertarian Party activist Richard Longstreet has written for the party's website saying that Republicans and Democrats have played with the LGBTQIA plus communities for far too long. Mr Longstreet points out that the Libertarian Party in the US has supported same-sex marriage since 1971, decades before the Democrats, who are frequently thought of as the party of LGBTQIA plus political aspiration. The Newswire Pink News reports that several thousand people took place in a breakaway Pride in Manchester march this past bank holiday weekend, making demands for the freedom of all sections of our rainbow community. The march took place on the same weekend as the formal Manchester Pride Festival, which has been the subject of some concerns over the amount it was giving to LGBTQIA charities and its withdrawal from a condom distribution scheme. Organisers of the breakaway march said Pride has always been a protest. None of are free until we are all free both here in Manchester across the country and across the world. In fairness to the main Manchester Pride Festival many LGBTQIA people did take to Twitter to acknowledge that political pansexual performer Youngblood was the headliner for Saturday's stage performances and this was felt to be progress from previous festivals when straight pop acts would perform. And finally, Donnelly Cult Progressive Resources in the United States have been making and selling badges, posters, postcards and stickers for a variety of peace, progressive, left, anarchist, feminist and LGBTQIA plus causes since 1975. They supply goods to a number of radical bookstores in the United Kingdom and on con- continental Europe, but one can also buy from them directly at donnellycult.com. Currently, the project has a range of materials on sale and discounted by as much as 25%. So, if you are after political and socially conscious stocking fillers for this Christmas, then perhaps now is the time to pop along to view their catalogue. For these news stories in further detail and much, much more, you can check out our website at shoutoutradio.lgbt. For Shoutout News, this has been Ezra Peregrine and Terry Starr. Shoutout News, national and international LGBT news for you. Shout out LGBT radio for you. Now I'm stuck on my own. I'm neither here nor there. But I can see how my heart has grown. I guess it's called repair. And I was hoping you'd listen when I told you I'm missing the part of my heart you had found. But I did not admit that I. When he came around When he came around Uh, Before we get started, I have to ask, what's this whale you're making? My whale? Well, it's a whale. The whale is a puppet. Over the last few years, I've got quite into making puppets for theatre shows. And this new show that I'm doing, I need a whale. So I've tried to make one. I've made, I made a smaller one out of an umbrella. And now I've gone and bought a parasol. And now I've 
like cut up the parasol and somehow it's kind of looking like a whale. It still looks like a whale made out of a parasol, but it's big enough and it's getting there and in the dark and in with good lighting, I think it will be quite effective. So that's why I'm making a whale for this show. We're talking to Brooke Tate, who is a British painter, writer and musician based in uh, Bristol. And he's been painting since uh, 2011. And I gather actually during lockdown, you've been quite busy, haven't you? I have, yeah. Um, painting was something that I did I did do quite a lot of because theatres shut and gigs were off. I, I used to paint very, very realistically, like quite photorealistic and traditional, m- mostly portraits of friends and people I met in the street. But then something, I don't know, last year just I had a lot of changes and I think like lots of people, I just started thinking about other things in my life and quite naturally my paintings kind of, uh, well, they turned into something different and they followed me on my little journey where I was going and it was looking at my like sexuality and my relationship with my own body and realising that I, I am quite homophobic and that I have a lot of homophobic thoughts about myself and I'd wake up in the morning and have these like images and sketch ideas and I'd draw them down and then come into my studio and paint them and then I ended up painting quite a few, probably about eight or nine big paintings that came from that. Um, and yeah, and that's led to that's led and all been part of this journey to where I am now making this show. Like it, yeah. Well, we'll talk about the sh- the show. We just to unpick that a little bit because for people who aren't familiar with you, you you do talk about your journey uh, in some of your online articles and in, in your work. If you can, you just give us a bit more about that. Yeah, sure. I moved to Bristol in 2016 um, initially to study nursing, but I started doing painting and music and theatre, and it kind of weight like t- took me off took me off that path and I just couldn't stop really because Bristol is such a creative space to be I was writing music um, from yeah from around that time right up until now um, and I started doing gigs with my, with a with a growing group of friends as like a band and then I also write children's books and then quite naturally and I suppose expectedly for someone who loves musicals I started trying to make them into musicals and then two of them got made into musicals with the Bristol Old Vic that sort of brought me up to 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 now to find myself with a band with loads of original music two theatre shows and a big old collection of paintings and I'm very very grateful to Bristol for giving me space to do all of that it's not a bad portfolio uh, for yeah, in in such a short space of time for shout out listeners i mean you talked about being homophobic towards yourself and mm. we all have to go through a journey about accepting ourselves and and learning about our true identity was it particularly challenging for you yeah well see the point is, the reason why well not the reason but as in a big part of my life is that i grew up as a jehovah's witness until 20 I was 23, so until the year I moved to Bristol. And that's kind of the reason I moved to Bristol. I just needed space. And I and I felt a great relief then, and I felt, great, I can be gay now. And <laughs> be gay, but as in, like, I can talk honestly about my sexuality and tell people I'm gay from, like, and it's not a thing and it's not an issue. So for a while I thought I was completely fine. And that's not the reason I left being a Jehovah's Witness. My, um belief changed my understanding my core beliefs changed which meant that I just couldn't do that anymore if I was going to be honest and genuine with myself but then so moving to Bristol and being like oh I'm gay and la 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 and everything's fine I didn't really notice or really think about how I viewed myself and my sexuality in not a very good in not 
a completely embracing way and didn't like that part of myself at certain times because I had grown up in an environment that when it was mentioned, it was like, that's a really, really not good thing to be. So if I wasn't gay, I could have stayed, I, I might not have challenged my belief as much. So actually part of my brain and part of my thinking really didn't like the fact that I was gay because it was the reason for all of this, this like difficult time that I'd been through. And that's really been something over the last year or so that I've really tried to to just keep in mind and, and, and look at and trying to use my paintings as a way to um, express those feelings and thoughts in my songs and writing. It has definitely been a journey and I'm not saying at all that it's finished, like it's probably going to be my whole life, but... It's incredible to hear you talk uh, so vividly uh, like that. And I can imagine there are people listening to this who find themselves in a not dissimilar situation where they could be questioning their faith, um, their beliefs, the way they've been brought up, their understanding of the world and their their current understanding of themselves. And as you so eloquently put, life is a journey, isn't it? It's a journey of discovery all the time. Yeah, definitely. I, I even making this way of talking about journey, like I've literally just been doing that this afternoon. It's not going completely as I wanted it to do. <laughs> I, I realised that I am trying to make a whale out of a parasol, but I know from making things, life, life it's like making something. I literally, you just have all this material or you have this stuff and you start cobbling something together. Life genuinely is a journey and a little project. Like you're, like this whale you do um, realize you're gonna to have to keep listeners up to date now with this the progress of this whale because you keep referring to it <laughs> i know well i think she's going to be called gail the whale um but um she's on my instagram so my instagram's just at brooke tate b-r-o-o-k-t-a-t-e and that's where i put most of my um creative adventures or misadventures um so you can see that but um She'll she'll be fine. She's about four meters in length now. Um, I'll pop a little video on my Instagram. Um, she, I'm sure she'll be fine. But like like we say, with the right lighting, with a bit of makeup, she'll be fine. She'll be fine. Can I just ask though, because um, you you could be forgiven for 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 hearing an excerpt of your interview you're giving here and saying, oh, he's throwing away faith. Is faith still important to you, um, Matthew? Like, thank you so much for asking me that question. Like. This is like these interviews that I've been doing over the last like month or so is the first time that I've spoken publicly about this because there's such like an ingrained fear to talk about um, leaving my faith uh, um, as a Jehovah's Witness. And I'm not sure there's lots of other religious groups that or people that feel the same about their faith. It was a massive part of my life. Um, And for a while I did completely let go of and I was like I'm not going to try and believe in anything other than the things that I can see touch smell taste and everything like that because I can't cope with trying to work out what I believe anymore so but in that period of time when I let go of the idea of trying to believe of believe in like anything spiritual or anything like that I think that's where my portraiture and painting people really came to the forefront in my life because the people that I met and the people that I painted I was like everyone is so beautiful like they're beautiful interesting people i really really value their friendship i really really find their fascinate them fascinating and their backgrounds where they come from what's their family like and that really helped me yeah sort of ground myself here so with painting people i sort of let go of that idea of of spirituality and trying to connect with something that wasn't here and now 
But then over time and over the years, the experiences that I've had have made me reclaim spirituality for myself. It was all about finding a spirituality that was connected to my personal life and the people that were in it and the experiences I was having. My spirituality, let's say, is as much as a project as this whale. <laughs> it's like it's constantly growing. It might look like a shambles. It might not make sense, but it's constantly growing and, and it will change just as I will change through my life. What a great metaphor. Can I just ask before we get, we, we could talk about uh, one of your one of your projects. I'm going to talk about a couple of projects uh, uh, that are on the go. Uh, for anyone who, who's listening and is really just struggling with their, their, their own faith or questioning themselves or hating themselves, any words of advice? I try to try and tell myself that like a lot of the things that I don't like about myself, if I don't like them at the time or something, aren't they're not me. They're like things that I've like picked up or like I've picked up along the way that are like because of trauma or because of difficult situations. And it's just a case of seeing that and trying to separate separate what is you and what is circumstance, I'd say. And then once you're through that, like learning to love yourself, like that Mariah Carey song is amazing. Like I've realised that in the last year or so. But just being honest with yourself, talking really honestly with yourself in the mirror, I find talking to myself in the mirror really powerful, is the best place, like one of the greatest places to start a serious, like an honest conversation. And then when you can have that conversation with yourself in the mirror, take it to a friend. And because most friends are there really, really are just waiting to love you. And if, you, if you're struggling to love yourself, your friends are going to be such great people to help you get there. Now, Birthmarked is a, a, a project that you've got. It's uh, coming on at the end of the, the month. Um, it's a, a new concept gig written and performed by Brooke Tate and his grand band of pals using songs he's written over the past six years. Brooke is going to be telling the story of a young gay Jehovah's Witness as he comes to terms with his sexuality and finds his feet. This sounds familiar from what you've That's just it? been saying, from what you've just oh. been saying. Yeah. So tell us more about it. Yeah, so it's called birthmarks because I have a birthmark on my head and it links to sin, like being marked for being sinful. So that's why I've used that term. Okay. Um, and, be, and being gay from as young as I can remember. It's like, well, I was apparently sinning since I was a child. So I've been marked from birth. Um, and it's basically, I have been writing songs that kind of were to do with my my situation and trying to work things out since um, I was 23 so that seven six seven years ago um, when I was being when I was going through a process called disfellowshipping from the Jehovah's Witnesses um, which it's a very traumatic experience because you end up getting cut off from everyone that you know um, including family members so it's a really really difficult time and I spent a lot of time sat on my own in my bedroom and was started writing songs and um, I carried on writing songs about that all the way through to when I moved to Bristol and as I was working out things and coming to understand the world in a different way and I played with a band and um, we used to gig before the, before like pandemic and everything we used, to, we used to gig loads around Bristol but I never really explained what my songs were about because they were kind of hidden or they were kind of like uh, disguised as love songs. But some of them, are, one of them is like a, a, like a breakup song to God, but I still loved him at the time. And I was still like trying to work out that relationship. Um, another one was about hoping to um, be able to 
talk to certain people again, like, but they all sound like love songs. I had this idea, I was like, I could do a, a show where I play all these songs with my band and tell the story of what was happening as I was writing these songs because there's so much story that was going on. And I thought, oh gosh, maybe I shouldn't do that again because like I say, it's quite a scary thing to talk about um, if you're in this situation. And then I thought, oh, well, maybe. And I started writing it down um, and it all just sort of fell into place. And I thought, thought I could do it like a kid's show, but for adults with puppets, with a giant whale that comes along and thinks I'm Jonah and is about to swallow me from the Bible. But then I'm like, no, my name's Brooke and I'm gay and I'm blah, 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 blah. So, so telling this story and hopefully shining a light on the world of, of someone that gets um, excommunicated or has to leave their religion. Um, uh, but hopefully in a beautiful, I'm trying to do this in as, as, in as most beautiful and considerate and loving way as I can because I want everyone to know or that, that may have been from my old community that I still love them. It was the circumstance that I have issue with and I want to expose and, and the structures that are in place that I think really, really, are really traumatic and damaging and, and they do lead to suicide. They lead to family breakup and at some point down the line you do want to take your own life because you've lost your whole support network everyone that you love everyone that you can talk to it's like making people homeless you're spiritually homeless you're now an orphan like all in the space of of one meeting that's why i'm doing this show and i'm trying to do it really beautifully and and funnily and with light-heartedness but talking about quite serious things so exploring all this with music, high heels, a whale and a giraffe. Have I understood that correctly? Yes. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so um, it's coming up at the end of the month and it's not in a traditional theatre, is it? No, that's right. So it's on the 28th and 29th of September and it's at a new theatre venue called the Theatre on the Downs, which is um, a theatre tent. It's run by the Wardrobe Ensemble, who are a great theatre company, and they've like they've supported me with this. And it's an outside venue, so it's like air, fully air vented, and the tickets are on sale through the Bristol Old Vic website. Yeah, and you can find the details for the show by going to theatreonthedowns.co.uk or as Brooke was saying there, go directly to the Bristol Old Vic uh, website, bristololdvic.org.uk. Those links will be on the shout-out website. Uh, and it's a pay-what-you-can, I believe. Yeah, it is. So I guess it's making it very accessible to people for people. Yeah, it's a flexible pricing scheme I'm just seeing on my uh, on my screen here. So uh, yeah. if you want to find out about, uh, about Brooke's uh, journey uh, through the medium of music, meet the whale see the whale on stage the giraffe and his tap shoes then uh, get yourself along to the theatre on the downs at the end of the month brooke it's been an absolute pleasure uh, listening to your um, your creative projects and where you're at at the moment and i'm sure we'll uh, uh, we'll keep in touch and we'd love to find out more in the future as well oh thank you so much it's been it's been really nice to talk to you too matthew and uh, yeah i'll keep you updated with stuff as it goes along Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. Shout out. LGBT Radio for you. Until the turn of the century, British armed forces engaged in the social cleansing of a group of their own people. 
people the military saw as a threat to its existence. LGBT plus personnel matched the courage of their peers on the battlefield, but if discovered were arrested, interrogated, subjected to degrading medical examinations and court-martial. Working with the charity Fighting With Pride, we're telling the stories of people who served or were directly affected by this gay ban. My name's Pauline Rimmer. Uh, my friends call me Polly. I joined the army in December 1973 when I was 17 years old. I left the army in 1977, in December. I was an army driver. I was discharged from the army in Germany. And the reason given was that my services were no longer required. I, I was gay and they discharged me on that basis. But as far as my own sexuality was concerned, at 17, I knew that there was something very different about me. I had no interest in boys. I was very sporty, obviously a tomboy, but really had not investigated that until I joined the army. Having said that, I knew after I joined the army that if I were caught in a compromising situation, which I later was, then there was the possibility that I would lose my job. But it was such a rarity in those days that in terms of my experience that I just thought, well, you know, everything's going to be okay and, and we'll just get on. I met a girl and we formed a relationship and we were very, we were very close. We were very careful about any signs of affection and we spent a lot of time away from camp. But when we were on camp, we were careful. On one occasion, we'd been watching a, a film on TV. We were in my barrack room, lying on my bed, and we fell asleep. And we were disturbed by the orderly officer of the evening and reported. You know, the excuse that the army always gave to people in those days was that if you were gay, you could be blackmailed by... Russian spies because you allowed yourself to be compromised. But in reality, it was just a matter of every now and again, they would have a purge. Things came in waves and you would know that the SIB were coming in, the special investigation branch of the military police, and people would frantically dash about their barrack rooms, hiding letters, hiding photographs taking down anything at all that could be construed as an indication that you were gay. They'd go through your wardrobe and check your clothes and all sorts of ridiculous things like that. When I was discharged, I was able to read my discharge papers and the colonel that had interviewed me regarding the situation had written in her report Private Rimmer is a woman none too well endowed with attractive features. And that's something that's almost been indelibly marked into my brain since. For a short period, I lived in the YWCA at Clifton in Bristol. That was a very, very difficult time for me because it was organised so that you had to be out of the hostel by eight in the morning and you couldn't go back until eight at night. And you had to take everything with you. I was almost a homeless person, although in the 70s, 
there was no recognition of homeless people as they are now. I, I literally wandered the streets looking for work. Of course, I had no money. I left the army with my car and the belongings that I put in the car because it was it was something that had happened very quickly. I had no money. I had no savings. And so I found myself literally living from hand to mouth. I think there has been over the years, not just in my case, but in, in other cases as well, there's been a huge loss of expertise and a financial loss to the army as well because of the people that they decided to, to discard, to eject. Those people were an asset. I think the army missed out on all of that expertise and commitment from people who really wanted to serve. I'm very settled now. I'm very lucky that, you know, there are lots of people who haven't had the breaks that I've had, but I still have a feeling inside. There's the 21-year-old the inside of me still fears that everything can be taken away tomorrow. You've been listening to Fighting With Pride, produced by John Dash Media with the support of the Audio Content Fund. For more information, visit fightingwithpride.org.uk. For more information about Shoutout Radio, visit us online at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Shoutout. LGBT radio for you. Uh, I still have faith in you. Uh, That's one of Abba's uh, new tracks. Yeah. What do we think? I like that lot. Love it. Love it. Mm. It's growing on me. I, I, I heard it earlier in the week on our good friends over at Trans Radio UK, and I was thinking, I'm not sure if they've got the magic there, but now now I'm thinking, yes, I think they have, actually. It's, <laughs> it's very sparkling. Mm. It's got the sort of dual choruses. It's I, wonderful. That's I the slower I'm... of the two, that one, by the yeah. way. The other one yeah. is a little bit quicker, and the whole album hasn't come out yet. So No. Oh, I yes. think after all these years, um, to be honest, they would have to have felt really confident in what they were bringing to the audience because mm. their fan base is huge. Um, and I think that must be quite scary, you know, when, when you've got a little bit of belief in yourself. Think, oh, yeah, we're all right, you know. But um, what if the fans hate us? Well, they've <laughs> set it's, it's up Abba. Uh, the Abba Theatre as well. Mm. And of all the cities they've chosen in the world, they've chosen London. London! Yeah, yeah but they're not, they're not actually performing, though. Um, they're, they're, they're doing that kind of Pepper's Ghost effect thing, aren't they, with, mm. the, with, with the glass screen that's projected on that looks like they're there dancing and yeah. they've been they've been youngified <laughs> yes so, they're uh, avatars avatars yeah <laughs> which I, I, I love the name i think that's so cool i think we should be offering that on the actual gay scene uh, i think that'll go down very well <laughs> youngifying people oh, i wonder i Probably wonder as that. well if um, any of the tracks will make it into um, mamma mia or something um, i don't know if you've seen it but they have a big sing-along at the end i, I, I can see a, yeah, a third a third movie to be honest mm. um let alone another stage production mm. so it's going to open a lot of doors now isn't it you yeah. know it's, it's not a stage production of the second film though is there it's a follow-on from the first film no you're correct there isn't so maybe they'll bring the two together mm. that would be fun do you remember that mm. benny and bjorn were involved in a stage musical in 1985 shortly after the end of abba called chess yes and that yielded mm. i know yes. him so well with yeah. uh, yes. elaine page 
Yeah. And Barbara Dixon, wasn't it, who sang that? Yeah, yeah beautiful. Yeah. So that's so kind of talented. Ab- yeah, so that's kind of like the ABBA song that got away, really, wasn't it? Because mm. it's very similar to an ABBA yeah. song. Yeah. Well, uh, my other half heard them before, um, before I did. Let's turn around to him and I said, you know, uh, what do you think of the songs? And he said, well, they're, they're very ABBA. <laughs> and and you listen to that one and it is you'd know that's abba if you heard it um you know even if you weren't told i mean they have got a very distinct style haven't they Mm. it's the piano the sliding down the piano it's so melodic um and they they are so good at taking turns in singing and having those harmonies and well yeah i wonder how long it's gonna take almighty um or seventh heaven remix houses to actually (gasps) zomp that up and get it in the clubs Yeah, Almighty. Yes. I used to love Almighty remixes. Um, and who yes. was the who was the other one? There was uh, a, a label Ab- called Abba, Clone. Abacadabra. Oh, Abacadabra. Abacadabra, the group that um, sang for um, Seventh Heaven, and they were Australian, yeah. Yeah, well, I don't know. I, I should look it up. <laughs> <laughs> Australians. Okay. Well, let's start, Australians let's get start the show we, again. We Abba, as well. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, I tell you what, we'll do though. We'll put the other track in next week's show as well. Why not? Uh, because it's really cool. So, I mean, it's available. If you want to pre-order it, I think you can do so on like iTunes and uh, uh, other services. Um, but they've only released two of the songs so far. Um, and on one the of album. them is number one trending. The one we played tonight, number one trending worldwide on YouTube. So that that oh, that says incredible. something in itself, doesn't it? Yeah. You know. Yeah. They, they to, to still have lost their magic. to still have the talent after all these years as well because yeah. I mean one, one of them's like pr- pretty much shut herself away for all of this time mm. hasn't she mm. so to come out yeah. and um, start start like recording again and she, I think it's great I think it's lovely. do you reckon they must have been short of money no <laughs> good lord <laughs> okay. no. Uh, they're the highest selling artists ever I think aren't they? weren't they often um, like 20 or 30 million a piece to uh, come to do, together and uh, well like, to, nah, do right. to do a tour to do a tour I think they're like um, making 300 yeah. we'll think about it 60 uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> no yeah thank you for the music <laughs> so, oh dear I'd, I'd stand on a station but well, I can't sing actually so I, that's I very really true work. that's alright Andy you most can't. people lip sync <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I could do that ever. so I mean I could I could always like edit the bit of you seen earlier and stick that in next week's show wow see. I, see I what don't the know audience that, that's a threat a promise or something in between but definitely for the Christmas show definitely <laughs> for the Christmas. so don't don't no, no C word no not yet no yeah, well the shops seem to have don't they yeah just oh. saying no just saying first it's night before Christmas all the horror horror films and then pumpkins and then we can talk about you know Old oh gosh, yes, we've got Halloween coming up. That's mm. right, we have indeed. Yeah. Uh, anyway, that's it for this week. But as always, uh, we'll be back same time uh, next week with another packed show for you. Next week, we continue with the Fighting with Pride segment. Check us out and catch up with our podcast at shoutoutradio.lgbt. Uh, for myself and the rest of the team, we'll see you next week. Say bye bye, everyone. Bye. Shout out. LGBT radio for you.